This is Lon Winters with Graphic Elephants. This is Jimmy Lamp. This is Matt Masalo with the RhinestoneWorld.com. And you're listening to the Two Regular Guys Podcast. And you are listening to the Two Regular Guys Podcast. Podcast. Hosted by... My name is Terry Combs RG. Regular Guy. And Aaron Montgomery. We're just regular guys having fun and uh, trying to, to make a living in this really cool and exciting industry. I think we all want to succeed 100% of the time. Seek to understand before I try and make myself understood. Bring a ton of great information. Coming to you live from somewhere dark, dirty, and dank. All right. Well, welcome into the show. It is Friday, August 19th, 2022. I'm Terry Combs, and you can find me at terrycombs.com. And I'm Aaron Montgomery, and you can find me over at OurSuccessGroup.com. So, Terry, today we're going to talk to garment decorator Alan Gaddis, and uh, he's going to be joining us to talk about his 40 years in this industry. So uh, everything that in, that entails and, and uh, going to have just a, a great journey and, and uh, learn lots from Alan and, and just having a great time talking to Alan today. So we, we uh, already got some great stories out of him in the pre-show <laughs> run up there. So it's, <laughs> I'm already excited. <laughs> Well, I, I do uh, say that it, this show is uh, Jay Bissell endorsed. So before I uh, logged in, I was actually talking to Jay and he goes, oh, Alan Gaddis is your guest. He's awesome. <laughs> nice. Always good to get that Jay Bissell recommendation. So I love it. Um, <laughs> good, good. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to Alan here in just a second. But uh, let's say good morning to some folks here first, Terry, before we uh, dive in. We've got uh, Chuck uh, checked in with us early this morning here and, and Cindy King. Good morning to you as well. And Barb from North Central Minnesota. Uh, Barb, I'm, I'm not far from you here. I'm in Battle Lake, Minnesota right now myself. So um right on, Kathy, is it Lake Edna? Ethel. Ethel. I keep thinking Edna, but Lake so, Ethel is where so we're at. Battle Creek feed into Battle Lake, because, you know, that's Battle where Kellogg's is Lake. from. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> the commercials used to say Battle Creek, Michigan. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning to everybody there. And uh, let's see here. We got Ramona checking in and uh, David Haynes. Good morning, David. Haven't seen you in a bit, sir. So good morning from Phoenix. Uh, what is it? Good 120 there right now, Terry. Hey, you know what? It rained all night and it's only 81 degrees right now. It's like Christmas that. snow for us. We're all yeah. at the window watching it, watching it. Rain what is this night. wet stuff coming out of the sky? <laughs> Did you turn the sprinklers on? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, again, we're excited to, uh, to chat with, uh, with Alan here in just a moment, but, um, and David Gross, good morning to you, sir. Um, well, Terry, uh, any news items that came across the, your desk there? Yeah, actually, I uh, got an, uh, an email from the folks at Stalls yesterday uh, saying that they are launching PVC patches for apparel and hard goods. Um, Stalls recently released PVC patches, which is another custom transfer option in the Emblem and Patches product line, right up Eric's alley. He's always talking about patches. Uh, <laughs> PVC <laughs> patches are high-end dimensional patches that appeal to a wide range of markets, featuring a rubber-like look and bright on-trend color option. These custom patches are available as heat-applied or pressure-sensitive transfers. PVC patches are soft and flexible, but durable enough to withstand wear and tear. With a waterproof finish and raised thickness, these new transfers are ideal for heavy apparel, 
outerwear, hard goods like hats, jackets, bags, water bottles, tumblers, and more. And to learn more about it, uh, you can see on your screen, Eric has the uh, link up. And if you're listening to the to the podcast version, go to our website and you'll be able to find that link or just go to stalls.com. There you go. Awesome. That sounds pretty cool. I'll have to check that yeah. out and see if that, uh, like you said, we'll see if that's Eric approved. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Terry. Well, um, I believe you also uh, have a dad joke for I, us as I, well. I, I do. I do. This is uh, coming back from my uh, days uh, in high school and college in the 70s. Um, uh, Aaron, uh, what do you call a hippie's wife? I don't know what you call a hippie's wife, Terry. Mississippi. <laughs> Mrs. Oh, oh, see, Eric see, has it up on the screen. He's a, yeah, that's a head shaker. <laughs> he's, explained, he's explained a joke again. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. I did know what you called that because I saw it in the outline, but I had to play it off, so. <laughs> All right, Aaron, before we go any further, let's uh, thank everybody for checking out the Two Regular Guys podcast. We are always looking for new guests. So if you or anyone you know would like to join us, go to calendly.com slash two, the number two, regular guys, and share your show ideas. If you are listening to the podcast version of the show, we would appreciate you sharing the Two Regular Guys podcast with all your industry friends so they can become regulators too. And we would appreciate you giving us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts. We are everywhere. And if you're watching us live right now, please join in with your comments and questions, uh, especially if you've been in the industry for 40 years or less. Uh, share your uh, share your <laughs> thoughts as well. Yeah. And any questions you have for Alan or, or us, we're, we're always happy to... Uh, to have you participate here. And uh, speaking of participate, Ramona said that she was glad that uh, Eric did explain because she was a little bit lost on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> all well, right. Eric, Eric, Eric's been right all along and we've been wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. We've kind of known that though. So it's, it's, it's not a big shock. All right. Well, Andy, good morning from uh, Wisconsin graphics. Good to see you, Andy. Hopefully you're doing well. Um, all right, Terry. Well, um, so let's real quick before we get Alan on here, I did want to share with folks that uh, we are accepting sponsorship. If you'd like to sponsor the two regular guys podcast, just head over to two regular guys.com forward slash sponsorship. We do have all those slots available. We kind of took that opportunity down so we could support the, uh, the trade shows to get back on their feet. And, uh, looks like all of the, the main ones survived and, and, uh, yeah, in fact, uh, it seems like they're getting ready to, to thrive again. I know there's a lot of uh, excitement around uh, upcoming shows and Printing United and things like that. But um, so if you want to get your message out to uh, the, the oldest and most listened to podcast out there, uh, we are, are in our 10th season. I think this is episode 460-ish, somewhere in that range. So uh, um, crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're happy to share what you have going on out there in the in the world. So if you'll, again, go to tworegularguys.com forward slash sponsorship. So yeah, Terry, what, I mean, obviously they're going to get that reach, but what does sponsoring uh, Two Regular Guys mean for people? Well, you know, we, uh, well, I think reach is, is a big part of it. And, yeah. uh, and also supporting uh, education because uh, I feel like, uh, 90% of what we do is educating uh, decorators or future decorators. And 10% uh, um, of it might be dad jokes occasionally talking. <laughs> we haven't talked chicken wings and beer lately, but uh, there's, there's a little bit of that too. There's, there's some of that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as, you, as you can tell from the logo that my son, by the way, created. Uh, yes. My son who lives in Manhattan. And it's uh, been a logo from the, day one, really. 
It has been, yeah, the microphone and uh, and and the chicken wing. So. Yeah, I was at Cold Beers and Cheeseburgers last night. Aaron. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> that, that actually came up last night at our dinner conversation uh, uh, with Kylie's parents. They're in Maricopa, Arizona, so uh, <laughs> they know the area. All right, well, definitely check out uh, that opportunity uh, again. Two regular forward slash sponsorship. Thank you, Eric, and. You know, if you are watching the live version of this, yeah, what you might not realize is that we still have about 75% of our listens. The, the activity here is through our podcast channels. So we are everywhere that podcasts are, are found and and uh, getting lots of listens there. Our, our podcast listeners, we appreciate you guys uh, joining us through that medium. And uh, so you're obviously going to get your message out there as well. All right. Um, well, Terry, shall we get uh, Alan in here? Let's do. Let's do. He is all wound up telling stories beforehand. So let's just uh, set him loose. <laughs> set, set him loose. I love it. All right. Well, um, we're just going to we're just going to bring him right in here and let Alan tell us a little bit about himself. So, uh, Alan, good morning and welcome into the show here. Can you uh, just start us off, Alan, by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your business there? Sure. Good morning. How are you guys? We're doing great. Awesome. Thank you so awesome. much. So you said you were in Minnesota today. Terry, where are you coming in from? I am in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, well, I'm sliding in from Campbellsville, Kentucky. All right, nice. we we got uh, we got us all covered across the board there. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're covering all sorts of areas. Where's Campbellsville in relationship to uh, people that may, might not know Kentucky? Like who? He means Yankees. Yankees, yeah, yeah, yeah us Yankees. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're from a Yankee and a damn Yankee, right? No. Yeah, a Yankee just visits Kentucky. A damn Yankee moves here. <laughs> I love it. All right. So, well, give, uh, give us the uh, geography lesson. Yeah, so literally, we're considered the center of the state. Our county is, if you kind of turn your head a little bit, looks like a heart a little bit. Uh, so geographically, though, uh, we genuinely are at the crosshairs of the center of the state. So we're literally uh, in the middle and about uh, an hour and a half from all the major metropolitan areas. So from Louisville, from Lexington, from Bowling Green, we're kind of at a crosshairs of all three of those. Nice, okay, and awesome. We're the home of Green River Lake uh, here in, in the central Kentucky. So we can be uh, uh, an hour and a half to anywhere or an hour and a half from anywhere. Just work, depends on how you want to look at it. <laughs> got it, got it. Well, you know, all right, well, and I, grew, I grew up in Southwestern Virginia, Saltville, Virginia, but uh, uh, when I was in elementary school, I lived in Harlan, Kentucky, Harlan, bloody Harlan, Kentucky. Kentucky. Well, you were just barely in Kentucky over there on the eastern, eastern. Exactly. Area. Now, Harlan and in that area, um, we'll switch gears on you just a little bit here. From, but they were devastated by floods uh, just a few weeks ago. And uh, we were fortunate enough that we were able to partner with some uh, uh, companies over there and uh, do a, a bunch of contract work for them as a donation, to, as a fundraiser to support for the rebuild efforts for Eastern Kentucky, Harlan and Hazard and, and over that way. So we were honored to be able to do that. And uh, we printed several awesome. thousand shirts for them as in a fundraiser. And so, yeah, they've had a tough time over there, but man, they're, Eastern yeah. Kentucky people are resilient and uh, they'll, they'll be okay. But man, it was tough. I don't know if you saw yeah. any pictures, but uh, schools yeah. had four and five feet of water in them. And, Wow. Uh, a lot of mudslides, a lot of homes just went off the mountainsides and, and it, it was devastating. It certainly yeah, was. Okay. <clears throat> That's awesome yeah. that you were able to do that. Yeah, definitely. Well, we were honored to be able to do that. So, and I think we'll probably talk about this later, but when we get to the fact that we had a devastating fire 
in 2020, we had some companies step up and offer to do printing for us. Uh, and so we were, you know, honored to be able to repay that back and pay it forward uh, now that we're kind of back and going. So it's a great uh, brotherhood, if you will, uh, in the industry of, of people who decorate and, and print. And as a general rule, always willing to help out somebody in need. So, That's but anyway, awesome. we're in Campbellsville, Kentucky. We are the center of Kentucky. We've been around since 1983. I've been in the business since 1982. Technically, I've been in the business since 80, 90, 1981, but uh, I was still in high school. I worked at a screen printing facility in high school, third shift, or second shift, rather, uh, folding T-shirts. So I would get out of school at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, go to work and work 4 to midnight, uh, folding Pac-Man T-shirts. <laughs> uh, 1979, 1980, 1981, Pac-Man was real big. Fruit of Loom had yeah. a contract on that. And this this uh, screen print company had a relationship with them before. That's before Fruit of the Loom, we got into printing their own stuff. Hmm. So we're doing a lot of underoos, Pac-Man, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, I cleaned screens and, and folded T-shirts my senior year of high school, uh, second shift after school. That's so, awesome. Fruit of the Loom was, uh, as I recall, is is or was based out of uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, correct? Not only that, of course, Bowling Green is about, again, uh, an hour and 10 or 15 minute drive from us. But the largest Fruit of the Loom factory ever was here in Campbellsville. Oh, okay. And employed almost 5,000 people before NAFTA. And so, and our, our town is only about 11,000. And so we, we drew from several counties around, you know, so when Fruit of the Loom went out after NAFTA, as Ross Perot said, that big sucking sound that took all of our jobs across the border, um, we our unemployment rate got as high as 37%. Wow. So it was very devastating uh, to, to our community when Fruit of the Loom closed that plant. Literally, you would be hard pressed to find somebody who did not have a family member that had worked at Fruit of the Loom. I mean, it was either a spouse, a parent, a, a sibling, or something. I mean, they was the reach was that far and that deep. So uh, there was a it was a lot of consternation going on when they closed that plant down. But back in the day, when I first started, I could literally call through the loom up and place an order for blanks, and then go pick it up in my pickup that afternoon. You know, in case quantities. So um, that was that was back in the day, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> indeed. And, and, and that story is uh, repeated all over the Carolinas, all over that part of the country. So East Tennessee, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So well, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, no, you go ahead. Well, no, uh, I was just going to say that that was kind of, we got our start. Uh, I, I, I started on my own. Uh, I started with some partners in the summer of 1982 a partnership didn't work out. We, we tried the, the retail t-shirt transfer business and all that. And uh, this, it did not work. They wanted out. And uh, ironically, my CPA said, you know, I don't think they've really given you a chance to see what you could do. Uh, if you get rid of all this retail stuff, I'll loan you the money to start on screen printing on your own. He loaned me $5,000. I started in May of 1983 and had him pay back by July. And oh, that's so awesome. That was the way we started and went at it. And so we've been doing 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 it ever since. And uh, NAFTA changed the face of our business a lot. Uh, we were in mass merchants. Uh, you know, I, I was young and dumb, which is a good way to be sometimes. Um, 
it's kind of like the bumblebee doesn't know it's not supposed to fly, so it flies anyway. So <laughs> I just walked into a Walmart in, uh, in 1983, and I said, hey, uh, would you be interested in buying? Of course, I was doing college stuff before the license program was really in effect. So uh, this guy started buying stuff from me, and I would walk in, and he'd go to the back room and pay me cash out of the cash box. At that time, Walmart could pay you, you know, the manager would just pay you cash. And over the course, they were in the, they were in their growth mode. So it wasn't but just a few years till the home office cracked down on all that and said, you can't do it that way. But by that time, I was selling probably six or eight Walmarts. And uh, I got a Dear John letter from Walmart that says, you're not an authorized vendor. Who are you? As, as, as Kevin on Park Tank would say, you cockroach. And so <laughs> uh, they told me that, you know, I, I couldn't sell there anymore. But fortunately, I had a good enough relationship with a couple of district managers who had been around long enough that Sam Walton was their friend. And they called Mr. Sam up and said, hey, this guy, you know, has been taking care of us. We want to keep buying from him. So he called the buyers and said, look, you know, set him up. And so the buyer said, well, you can't sell to anybody else but those stores. They had about 12. And uh, so what would happen, Walmart was in this growth mode. As they would add a new store, it would realign the district. So two or three of the stores would move into a different district, and they would add two or three stores to the new district. Well, the old district would tell their district manager about me, and then he would call me and go, well, I want you to do the rest of my district. I said, well, you got to call the home office. And so he would, <laughs> and he'd throw a fit, and they'd say, okay, well, you can add just those. And that just kind of happened over the next couple of years. So I got up to like 60 stores. And uh, so I've never been to, to the home office at that point. So finally, the, they called me and like, you need to come down here. We need to get you set up with barcodes and all that. So I went down there hoping to get up to like 75 stores and walked out with a contract for 150. Wow, so that's come awesome. To, come to find out they'd had some kind of a relationship severed with another company over some stuff they didn't like. And anyway, they gave me, at that time, they gave me all of Kentucky and all of Tennessee Walmarts. And so, and Indiana. So I asked them, I said, well, Kentucky's Royal, that's easy enough. Indiana's Red, that's easy enough. At that time, no vendor made Tennessee Orange as a stock right. color. So everything had to be custom made. As you alluded to a minute ago, though, there was mills in North Carolina, East Tennessee, different places that was doing that kind of stuff. Signal knitting mills was going down to Chattanooga, you know, and so I asked the buyer, I said, it was, it was a newer female buyer. And I said, can I possibly just take Indiana and Kentucky this season? Give me time to ramp up for next season on the orange for Tennessee. And she's like, yeah, we can do that. that will be fine. Before I got back home, she'd sent out a Twix back in the day before email and all that. Walmart had an internal system called a Twix that said I was the new primary vendor for all three states. <laughs> so they were calling me on Tennessee Orange before I got back home from Bentonville, Arkansas. And so that was a terrible, I mean, terrible. It was a extreme time of growth and difficulty because I was about 21 years old, maybe at the time, trying to figure out how to finance about two to $3 million worth of business. And I didn't have any partners, I didn't have anything, you know, so it was, it was challenging. It was challenging. And yeah. uh, I did Walmart. Uh, I did Walmart till about uh, the mid to late 90s. Uh, 
and I had an opportunity to sell that relationship. After NAFTA, it all changed. Everything was being all this overseas stuff, and it just right. got you know, you kind of under a thumb all the time, you know, yeah. with pricing and and uh, they started sourcing a lot of stuff themselves uh, overseas. Right. It just wasn't the same as it used to be. Let me just put it that way. Yeah. And, uh, and I had a chance to sell that that part of the business, and and I, I did, and kind of started moving more to contract work and uh, custom stuff. Uh, expanded our promotional product side, kind of widened our base, got into some wide format stuff, and uh, just kind of went down that road. So now we look, our, you know, our tagline is we print everything but money. So, and that's pretty <laughs> much true. I mean, we do wide format, laser engraving, sand carving, screen printing, embroidery, DTF, um, uh, sublimation. Uh, we do a lot of trophies and awards now. I bought a trophy and award business about seven or eight years ago, merged it in with us. Uh, I had started a separate promotional products company about 2001 or two. Um, actually started it. My dad was going to, he had kind of changed careers and he was going to do that. But at the same time, we bought a taxi business. So ultimately, he wound up buying me out of the taxi business and then I went a different direction with the promotional products. So I sold that in Walmart for several years uh, as a vendor. And then uh, again, they started sourcing so much stuff overseas direct, it became hard to be competitive. Uh, so I had somebody kind of run that division for me for years. And then after 2008 downturn and everything kind of, you know, got kind of crazy. I just brought them all under one umbrella of the Gadco group and merged them all. So, now we just we're just wide and we, we print about whatever you need. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, uh, <clears throat> Alan, you you obviously you started in high school. What what made you say this is what I want to do? I want to be a garment decorator. And what's kept you here for forty years? Mental instability, maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I that's what gets you're us like all here. every. Yeah. You're like every garment decorator. Every there, other person. Exactly. <laughs> uh, literally, I sold, I started off, ironically, the very first thing was doing sales. I was sick. I started doing sales at 16 years old. And uh, my first foray was that was as a member of the band doing fundraising garment bags, selling ads on the side. You sell ads on the side of the bag and then the school name on the other side of the bag. And everybody was supposed to go out and get one or two ads. I went out and two days sold the whole bag. And so the sales bug kind of bit me. Well, then literally, uh, you know, I wanted a consistent job kind of through school. Uh, and the only time you could do that was after school. So I wound up doing this screen printing thing with this, with this local company that's no longer in business. And, um, but while I was doing that, a friend of mine wanted to start doing some sales and he knew that I was going to join it. So I had never been out of the state of Kentucky as in a high, you know, I was in high school, except one time as a six year old, my aunt and uncle took me to Florida. Other than that, I'd never been out of the state of Kentucky. So he wanted to go to Gatlinburg. So that, how much time we got anyway, like three days. Yeah. So the World Fair was in was in Knoxville, Tennessee in 1982. Right. Okay. 
Before that, the Great Smoky Mountains was somewhat of a regional gem. You know, you know, most, not everybody, but most of the people who drove, who went to the Smoky Mountains were within two hours, three hour drive. Yeah. Well, the World's Fair kind of turned the whole world on to the Great Smoky Mountains region. And so Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge kind of started taking off much harder right after the World's Fair. It just so happened that we started going down there, me as a 16, 17-year-old kid, I went down there with this guy who was trying to sell, and we had some luck selling some stuff. So I had graduated high school and kind of went into this thing with this with the retail thing, and it it was tanking. I went to a, a local guy, a different screen print company than the one I worked on. It's just a little one-man shop. And I said, hey, would you interest in doing some printing for me? I didn't know the term contract printing. I just said, can you do some printing to me if I bring you some jobs? Yeah, I'll be glad to. So in a matter of a month, I, I was giving him more business than what he had total otherwise. And he got offended that he had been in business for 25 years and I was bringing him more business to contract print than he had otherwise and got mad and, and wouldn't print for me anymore. <laughs> so I had literally at that point, no contacts in the industry at anything. So I went to my partners that we had that retail and I said, Hey, let's buy some screen printing equipment and let's just do this ourselves." And I literally didn't know anything except how to catch and fold. I knew how to clean screens, but they, they, they did that. And that's when we had been doing it maybe three months and they decided they just wanted out. They got cold feet, just wanted out. That's when my, my CPA friend said, I believe you can do something with this screen printing thing if you'll forget about all this retail stuff and focus on that. And that's so that's when I went into it on my own in, in 83. So this Gatlinburg stuff kind of started ballooning up on us. There was this guy from Indiana who had moved down to the Gatlinburg area because of the World's Fair and had he and a partner had a big tent, like a circus tent, selling cypress wood clocks. Some guy comes by and asks if he can put a spinner rack of T-shirts in the corner of their tent on consignment. They're like, yeah, sure. He said they sold out that afternoon. So they had to wait for him like a week before he came around again. So they're like, hey, why don't you leave us two racks? And so he left them two racks, sold out the next day. One guy looks at his other guy and goes, hey, we're in our own business. We need to be in the T-shirt business. And his partner goes, we don't know anything about T-shirts. We're in the Cypress clock business. He's like, you be in the Cypress clock business. I want to be in the T-shirt business. And they split up. He went and got his own tent. And we just happened to come in as he's setting this thing up and start selling to him. Well, he had cash. All these people who had set up, remember you was talking earlier about all this North Carolina, East Tennessee stuff. They were making stuff for the World's Fair. The World's Fair was over. And they had fabric left. He would go in and, and somebody would have, you know, a hundred dozen t-shirts that they had been selling for $4 a piece or whatever, baseball shirts. And he would pop open a briefcase of cash and say, I'll take them all for $2 a piece. And they'd like, oh, we can't do that. And he's like, okay, well, I've got this list of eight other factories I'm going to today. I'm going to fill that truck up before I go home. Are you in or out? And they would usually take him up. So he would bring that back and we would drive to Gatlinburg twice a week in an old van and load up everything we could load in it, come back and print on a manual, me and one other guy, 
turn that load around, take it back. And that was my introduction to contract printing. And so from there, I went into the Walmart situation and then right. did that for several years. Didn't do much contract work. And then after I kind of got out of the mass merchant stuff, I did Target and uh, Cracker Barrel and Walmart. Decided I wanted to just go a little different route. I had I had kind of felt Walmart's hand on the back of my neck from the time I was about 20 or 21. I was almost 40. And I was just ready for something else. You know, the pressure of that every time the phone rang and they said, Walmart corporate office is on the phone. You just, your heart just kind of tightens up, you know, and right. you never knew what was the call was going to be. It was either an order for a hundred thousand dollars or they were going to return a hundred thousand dollars, whether you liked it or not. You know? right. so, <laughs> uh, there was just a lot of crazy stuff like that. They would give the authority to a store manager to place an order then a district manager would come in the day after it arrived and go, you're over inventory, send it back. It just, there was no integrity with that at all. So it was hard. It was a hard way to make a living, but that's what we did. And that's how I got started with it. And, uh, you know, I always told people, I don't really know how to do anything else. So that's why I stayed in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Alan, speaking of the contract printing, you've obviously been, doing that, right? You've got, got experience there. So what would you say to somebody newer into that space? If they're looking to do that, what, what are some of, what are some of your secrets? Are you willing to give us any of your, your secrets here? <laughs> yeah, I, I wish there were secrets. Uh, <laughs> you know, contract work yeah, has changed a lot because there's people that are in it now that that's all they do. And they're so specialized and they're so lean that, um, the low-hanging fruit, I feel like, is is not really there anymore. I mean, you know, it's, it's a difficult journey. Um, there are still some places that you can find uh, some things to do. But if you're, if you're going into it and you have zero contacts and you have zero inside uh, tracks to go somewhere, you're in for a tough haul. I mean, you really are. I, that contract work would never be something I would recommend to somebody unless it's somebody coming out of a contract situation where they know if I go, I can pull this much business with me, or I know that I've got some kind of an agreement with this company that's starting up and they're going to need X amount of volume. But to start off green with that, one of the things that's been great for us, uh, when Fruit of the Loom closed here locally, uh, and I don't know what year that was, but it was probably in the early 2000s, 2003, four, something like that. There was some executives from Fruit of the Loom who said, you know, we've got this workforce of 5,000 people here who've been used to getting up, going to work every day. They don't miss work. It's that generation of people who understand what work ethic is, all those things. They knew they had a workforce. So they just kind of trimmed back all the fat, if you will, and started a company of their own and focused on uh, military and government contracts. So they had about 150 employees. And then jumped right back in, got some contracts right off the bat, and we were their exclusive contract printer. So we were printing thousands and thousands and thousands of shirts for them every week and did that for about 16 or 17 years. Wow. And uh, so that got us kind of the, the ability to jump in with more automatic. Well, we had automatic equipment from the Walmart days, but we stayed automated, you know, so we could kind of keep the volume up. We've got 30,000 square feet under roof here. Uh, so we had more room than we really needed for a lot of things. So, uh, I, ha- I needed to be able to fill some space up quickly. 
So that worked out great for us. We contract printed for them for about 17 or 18 years. And ultimately they only went, they went out of business just a couple of years ago uh, because the employment, all that generation we were talking about was retiring and they couldn't hire any help. They could not hire people to sit there and run a sewing machine in our area and make it profitable anymore. Um, I mean, they told me, you know, they had ladies that were 70, 75 years old that was hitting 140, 150% production and they were hiring new people. And at six months, they were still at 70%. So they were just couldn't be profitable. And they were, they were all getting of age. They could kind of just go to the house, you know, including the owners. And they had a really nice piece of property that, that had appreciated a lot. So they were in a position that they could sell the real estate, go to the house. And that's what they did. So that kind of opened us up to start taking on some more selective contract work a couple of years ago. And we've done that uh, more so in the ASI industry now. Um, and then we just kind of focusing more on promo products, our awards and all that. But we still do a lot of screen printing uh, and, and embroidery in-house. So that's that's kind of I don't know that there's any secrets, but uh, <laughs> I would just say it's a tough it's a tough road to hoe if you don't have some inside lines. Yeah, you, you know, Alan, I, I I started out as a contract printer as well. Uh, I always I was always glad I did because it it made me be a very very efficient screen printer. You know, I didn't have the benefit of making an extra two or three dollars on a on a garment just by selling the garment. So. You know, it, it paid off uh, for me later in life. And, and I'm, I'm guessing you feel the same way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it gives you a lot of skills, technical skills, things like that. But, you know, we didn't start off really, con I, we did start off contracting, but it was on a different scale. But then I switched to mass merchants. And it's the same deal, though. Your margins are so tight. If you're not pretty efficient, yeah. pretty lean, they will beat you over the head with a big club, you know. <laughs> Well, and I think you're right too. There, there was a period of time where, uh, where people wanted to come to work and they wanted to do a good job, and 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 that that was uh, that was their career. Uh, the, I guess those days are behind us. It's a different time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're uh, when we were uh, scheduling you to be on the show, you had mentioned being in school sales. Are you referring to printing collegiate? apparel or well no i was really referring to uh local school market and uh company stores but that's the same deal that's that's one of those things that you can do okay with it but if you're going to if they're going to be your focus somebody almost has to live in those schools i mean it's a it's a little bit political it's a whole lot uh, connected because you can deal with the boosters uh for football or even a teacher this year and the turnover is so great between educators and then boosters. It's a new thing every year. So unless you're there where the people can see you three or four different people, like if you just work with one person and that person's gone, you don't have any, you don't have anything. So you got to be in that school, in that group, go to those meetings where different people see you. So the next year yeah. when they're, you know, they've, they've realized you were here last year. It's a tough market as well. Uh, uh, it, it I have found it to be very interesting. There are some areas that they don't have a lot of people beating on their door and you can like, there'll be this, I do some contract work for a guy in Georgia and he seems to kind of like be the guy in a lot of schools down there. And then even around here, I mean, you know, uh, we do a lot of school work, but there's two or three companies that it's always hammering on it, you know, and, and 
uh, it's a com very competitive market and it, the loyalty lasts as long as you're in front of them. I mean, it's kind of like the old yeah. tail light warranty that the used car salesman gives you. You know, when you're out of sight, the warranty's over. So. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I think you're right. I think you have to specialize in that kind of thing. Yeah, really, that's got, you have to understand that niche because it's tricky getting paid. It, it, you're dealing with, with non-professional buyers for the podcast listeners. I did air quotes. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the company store, online store market has changed that some. Yeah. It has some great advantages, but it's another thing that's kind of labor intensive. You have to have somebody on staff that's fairly technical to really manage that well. Uh, and, uh, packaging up, it's a completely different animal and you have to package every order individually and label it. So it can drive your cost up. Uh, it's, it's just a labor intensive industry to be in all the way around, to be honest with you. I mean, it is. I think the, I think one of the secrets of that marketplace is make it really, really easy for the customer to buy. Oh and, yeah. And, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. You know, we're dealing now long enough that people are what I call Amazon trained. So they want to feel, they want to buy from you and feel like it's the same type of experience as Amazon. They want to click, click, pay, check out and be done. And then it arrives at their doorstep, preferably this afternoon. <laughs> that's uh so it amazon, is an amazon world amazon has pretty much screwed up the whole world for us just to be <laughs> yes well we'd like to refer to amazon as skynet because when the machines take over it will be amazon <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so alan i know we don't always want to just talk about challenges but uh, another challenge that a lot of decorators are facing and i'm sure you are too is with the blanks and finding inventory and stuff like that. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? What, uh, what strategies are you using? Uh, any other, again, I know there's not maybe a, a magic bullet tip, but uh, yeah, share with us what you thought yeah. your thoughts are there. hundred percent. Well, we stopped a long, uh, I say a long time ago, a long time ago is months and this <laughs> seems like anymore, but um, we stopped being descriptive uh, with names or brands in our, in our, in our stuff. So we, we offer a soft ring spun t-shirt. And, and so then it gives us lots of options to go to between Sanmar and Bella Next Level and Toltecs and all these different options, Gildan, soft spot. And so we disclaim on all of our company stores that we do that says uh, we're subject to, you know, to replace, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, gosh. Substitute. For substitute, substitute. Yeah. yeah. We're subject to substitute uh, like styles or colors uh, as long as it fits the motive of if we're, if we're offering a ring spun soft shirt, that's as, that's as specific as we're going to get. You know, and it might, and we'll say it's green. And it, so we may wind up doing a forest green or a heather forest green or, you know, all these different, an evergreen green. Uh, and, and we have very little pushback on that. I'm going to be honest with you. By and large, I think we're at the point now, particularly, that people just understand there's a shortage yeah. of everything. Everything. I mean, you can't get parts for cars. Restaurants can't get to-go boxes. I mean, everywhere you go, everybody's dealing with all kinds of shortages, supply chain issues, shipping issues. Uh, and I told somebody this morning, I said, I have had more trouble out of UPS and FedEx in the last year than I did the previous 38 years combined 
I mean, it, there was a time that FedEx just did not mess up. Now, in fact, uh, uh, a guy that wrote the books, uh, swim, uh, How to Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive, Tom, Tom Peters, he, he had a little story about he was in the mountains writing a book and had his manuscript ready before internet and all that. And he said, I called FedEx and they did not answer by the second ring and I knew I had misdialed. So I just hung up and called back because they always answer on or before the first ring. Now that was how the attitude was of FedEx in the early 90s. Now for me, I would say 25% of the, of the deliveries I have from FedEx have an issue, 25%. And about 10 to 15% of deliveries I have from UPS have an issue. I've, I've just tracked a package this morning for a contract customer. They sent out an order that was supposed to ship back out from me today. Okay. I'm still waiting on goods. And the, and the UPS tracking says delivery delayed will update when more information is available. Well, that's what it said for three days. Yeah. You know, and so, and if you call them, UPS just goes, yeah, we're seeing the same thing you see. Hopefully it'll show up tomorrow. That's always their answer. Hopefully it'll show up tomorrow. So uh, it, that's, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, but I think people are understanding now more and more of that. But for us, we just, we just keep it pretty broad. Uh, you know, I deal more than anything with Sanmar and SNS, and they are probably the two most well-stocked distributors out there. And their private labels, I find to be just as good. You know, they bought Toltex in the deal with TSC, and I like Toltex uh, soft style pretty well. Sanmar is probably the widest, you know, base distributor that there is on their own brand, Port and uh, Sportech and all those. So we just try to substitute as we can. Where we get into trouble more than anything is like upper end golf shirt stuff and ladies wanting something, and you'll go look, and inventory is just terrible. And, you just have to either go, look, we either got to go a different direction or we just got to wait. You know, I have one customer that said, well, we'll just wait. It'll probably be in stock enough, you know, by the time we need it. They didn't need it for like three months. I'm like, okay, maybe. And literally inventory never changed in the whole three months. So we finally just had to take them a different direction at the last minute. But yeah, supply chain issues are just here for a while. I don't know when that's going to change. The work ethic you talked about earlier, it's so hard to hire employees right now. Uh, everybody is, is feeling that pain. Uh, even, even people who are willing to pay what I consider are premium wages can't hire anybody. A friend of mine is an HR recruiter in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, she said they were paying you know $14 an hour entry uh, three years ago. And she said, we're trying to start people at 20. And people just look at us like, no. We're not interested, you know, and uh, some of her competitors in the same market were advertising $26 an hour for people they were paying $13 an hour for three years ago. I mean, that's crazy. Like, you know, inflation, they talk about inflation is about seven or 8%. What do you know that's only up seven or 8% except t-shirts? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. True enough. <laughs> I, I spoke to a chamber of commerce a couple of years ago. And I, and I told the story when I started in 1983, a one color white t-shirt was around five bucks for a hundred shirts. 25 years later, 30 years later, I guess at the time, a one color white t-shirt for a hundred was around five bucks. <laughs> yeah. we were, the only thing I could think of that really hadn't changed what we were selling it for 
course, fortunately, the white T-shirt actually has come down a little bit in that time. But insurance and overhead and labor and tax, everything else has went up exponentially. And the, but the little T-shirts, you know, and people can get into this industry so cheaply to start. The point of entry is so low that it makes it hard. You got moms at home with a cricket. You got people lead a lit one of my years ago, literally I had a competitor who lived in government housing who set up a manual screen print press and a little tabletop dryer in one of his spare bedrooms in government housing. Yeah. So I was helping pay his electric bill, his rent, and then compete against him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Well, you know, I always say in my screen printing classes, the beauty of screen printing is you can start a real production shop for about $20,000. The curse of screen printing is your neighbor can start a real production shop for about $20,000. Yeah. And the bad part of that is you can start a jackleg screen printing operation for $5,000 and you're, people didn't really know the difference. At, right. at, at a distance like if yeah. you're walking in you know nobody knows you and nobody knows the other guy and you both of you are offering a one color white t-shirt they don't know the difference that he doesn't know how to dry it properly that it's going to wash out after the third wash that he's not paying any taxes he doesn't have any workman's comp they don't care either you know a lot of times so a lot of times it's, it comes down to education with your cut with your uh, customer uh just a lot of things that those kind of people don't really worry about, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of cash. They're not paying taxes. They're, you know, there's just a lot of underhanded stuff goes on. Uh, and they don't, they're not even looking to be big. They're just looking to, if they can funnel in a few thousand dollars cash and keep their government benefits, they're happy. Right. Exactly. Right. Well, so let's shift gears just a little bit. And you kind of referred to this uh, earlier. Um, we saw on Facebook, uh, from 2019, <laughs> congratulating you for uh, your Bachelor of Advertising Specialty Information Certification. Yeah. So, uh, how has how do promotional products fit into your business, and and do you have any advice for uh, for our decorator listeners about incorporating promotional products into their line? Oh yeah, hundred percent. First, well, actually, I've got my master's now, so you need to go oh. find that one and talk about it. Not. <laughs> But I think they go together literally like this because almost all buyers of one is a buyer of the other. You know, if, if Joe's Bar and Grill is buying T-shirts from you, they're probably buying ink pens and something else, coolies or whatever from somebody. So my theory is I don't want everybody's business. I just want yours. <laughs> so, um, and I want all yours. So if I'm in there taking my time to make a sales call and you're buying anything I can possibly help you with, I want to sell that to you. So, I mean, I'll take that all the way down. We will do everything from a logo design for a new business to business cards, forms, your letterhead, envelopes. Then we can talk about all the other promotional items that you might need as far as pens and coolies and calendars and ashtrays and whatever else, whatever your market is. And then all the apparel items for you, for your employees to wear, your workers to wear, but also for you to make an opportunity as a retail sale for you if you're a restaurant or whatever. I mean, granted, there's not Joe's plum plumbing service is probably not going to have a great retail business with his shirts. But if you can get people to wear your shirts because they're kind of cool and you've got some kind of a little funny dude on them, then that's advertisement for you. I, I tell people all the time. If you get an extra 20 shirts and it's a, you know, you got a design that people talk about and your guys are wearing them, 
hey man, that's a cool shirt. I like that little guy. And it's some kind of a little cheeky saying or something cute. Have those things available. If they spend two or 300 bucks with you and you say, hey, I'll tell you what, I got one of these t-shirts in my van out here. I'll give it to you if you'll commit that it will, you will wear it. And you'll wear it out to town. They're going to tell you yes. And they probably are going to. I mean, you know, people don't just lie as a rule. They, they'll remember themselves. Some of them will. All the time, people go, I need some good cheap hats. You need some what? <laughs> I want the cheapest hats that you can give me because we're just going to give them away. I said, well, why don't you just give away $5 bills? Huh? I said, well, nobody wears a cheap hat. I mean, if you're a hat wearer, 90% of them are hat snobs. They have a hat that fits their head. They like it. It's their favorite hat. And I said, that's the hat you want to be. Everything else goes in the closet in the collection. You don't need to be in the collection. You need to be on their head. So which one do you rather do? Give seven or eight dollars for a hat that's going to go in the collection, or give fifteen dollars for a hat that will get somewhere between five hundred and a thousand views a day for the life of the hat, which will probably be six months to a year. And they'll come back to you and go, "Lad, you got more of those good hats, man. I got mine so dirty, I can't stand it, but that's my favorite hat. That's the hat you want. That's the hat you want right there." Yeah. So that's you know I, I just almost refuse to do cheap hats anymore. You can't make any money out of them, and then it doesn't serve any purpose. And so why do them? And I'm kind of that way on ink pens. I had that conversation with somebody the other day. They said, uh, I need some ink pens as a giveaway for a, for a booth. And I said, well, what's your purpose? Well, I just want to put something in their hand. I said, well, why? Well, to advertise my business. I said, well, then you want a pen that they put in their pocket and carry with them every day and worry about somebody stealing it because it's their favorite pen. I, that's the pen you want. Yeah. And the difference is 30 cents. That's the difference is 30 cents. Yeah between a throwaway pen and a decent pen. So I said, go with a good pen. I get to make more money. You get to make more exposure. <laughs> it actually lasts. People like it. So it's just about educating. And if, if and that's where the, you become an educator instead of just an order taker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's yeah. a really good point. Uh, Eric actually said in the comments here, no one will hate your brand more than when it's on a pen that doesn't write when it's used. <laughs> no, Eric. <laughs> well, do you want a job selling for me, Eric? <laughs> there you go eric uh, eric probably could use one more job he's uh, yeah. he's i think he's got i think he's got 20 minutes on sundays still available there you go. <laughs> well you you mentioned this before let's let's wrap up a little bit by uh by talking about uh, you, you had a devastating fire in 2020 tell us about that experience and and how you came back from that we did have a devastating fire in 2020 i uh, it, it was one of the more ironic things, really. I did not have a fire or smoke alarm system in my facility. I made reference earlier that we've got almost 30,000 feet under roof, yeah. and it's not all our production facility. Some of it's just warehouse space. Uh, but in my main production facility, I had um, uh, cameras, had a camera system, and uh, that camera system went to monitors and so if it if i had motion sensors and i had some glass break sensors and some different things uh on on an alarm system that it wasn't i'm sorry i said camera but it was really just a burglar alarm system is what i'm trying to say it okay. wasn't a smoke alarm so but what happened was some of those were motion sensors well when the fire started it started on a second level in a just a really it was a break room that was used just in the wintertime because in the summertime, 
they wanted to just be able to be out, you know, they go outside or whatever. But in the wintertime, I, 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 had, I had that backwards. In the summertime, they would go upstairs because it was air conditioned. And they would could get cool. And I had a little refrigerator up there and, and a little table. In the wintertime, they would just stay downstairs, you know, and, and do their thing. So anyway, it was in the winter in January. So nobody had been in that that room for several months. We weren't using it, you know. And, uh, but that's where the fire started. We still don't know for sure, but the fire investigator officially listed his unknown origin, but he told me, he said, it almost had to start in this old refrigerator, which is actually very rare. There's not a lot of fire start in a refrigerator, uh, especially one that's been running for 30 years. It was just an old refrigerator for guys to put pops in or bring lunch and set in or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, when the fire started, something fell. Like, you know, and when it did, it triggered the motion sensor. So my alarm was going off and it was about nine, nine thirty at night. So it was dark. And so my phone started, I just had laid down in the bed for the evening and my phone starts at right, right, right. I pick it up and look at it and it tells me I've got a motion alarm in the middle of my building. Well, the only way that's possible is somebody stayed in the building and hid because I had door sensors everywhere else. I had glass break sensors, everything. So I was like, that's really odd because it was a nine o'clock at night. I mean, if you're going to stay in the building, you would have thought you would have moved as soon as everybody got out of the building and the alarm set. And so I went ahead and headed this way and I called 911 and I said, Hey, I've got an alarm going off. And there's like, yeah, it just came into us too. And I'm like, well, I said, I have the police officer just meet me there. I'm, I'm on my way. I said, you know, somebody may be in my building since it's a motion detector. And he said, okay, well, I get there first. And I didn't realize at the time, I thought it was just foggy, but there was just this kind of level of look like haze when my headlights hit, you know, in that area. So I thought it was just kind of fog. And I went ahead and just opened my end door up to go in the warehouse or the production building. And it was just, and I flipped on the lights. Well, as soon as I did, it's just solid smoke. Like you can't mm. see anything but smoke. Oh boy! But I, but I couldn't. So here's what my assumption was: after all these years of business, somebody left a flash dryer. On. <laughs> 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 right? Exactly. <laughs> That's coming <laughs> off of a platen. Platen <laughs> <laughs> over there somewhere. Well, I'm looking, and it's the smoke is so thick. I have to go back outside, and I still don't even call the fire department back. And I go back in. And I'm looking around and it's really thick. So I, I do pull out my phone. I call the fire department back and I said, hey, go ahead and roll me a fire truck because I got smoke and I can't find the fire. So I go back out, give me another big breath and I go further into the building this time. And all of a sudden I can hear crackling like a fire crackle. I still couldn't see anything, but I could hear it. So I go back outside. I walk around and look up from, the, you know, walk out in the street and look up and flames are coming out the roof. Oh no! And so I called fire department back, and I'm like, "Hey, we got a working structure fire. I was in EMS years ago, so I said we got a working structure fire. I need you to send me, you know, everything you got." So by the time they got there, man, it had spread big time, and, mm-hmm. it, and my production facility was a total loss. And uh, at one time, the fire chief pulled everybody out and and said, "You know, we're, we're going to lose the office and everything." My office was separate, just connected with a connector, and. Uh, they was actually shooting from a ladder truck down on top of it and they got it cooled down enough that he sent them back in one end of it and they got it stopped right before it went into my office. 
And so all we had in the office part was smoke, which was enough. Let me tell yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the building itself was a total loss, equipment, inventory, and all that. So I learned two or three things out of that. Um, but one of them was uh, the, the goodness of the people in the industry. Uh, I had a company in Indianapolis through one of my rep through one of my reps uh reach out and say hey you know what can we do for you you know we'll help you any way we can and so i was still contract printing at that time for that uh facility that had the contract facility that uh, doing all the the uh, government work i was telling you about so we were doing several thousand pieces a week on a narrow margins anyway and i was like you know here's what we've got and he's like uh okay well i'll, I'll do it for you still where you still make some money you know, so just great to us like that. And so that was great. And I also learned that insurance companies are not your friend. Don't ever think they are. Okay. And number two, uh, that's the biggest, probably the biggest scam going is the insurance industry. Uh, and you need to understand your coverage. You need to understand it and you need to meet with your agent and go through it with a fine tooth comb and understand terms like co-insurance and things like that, because what I learned was I had enough insurance on my facility that if they had just paid me that, I'd, I would have just said, okay, we're good. But they wanted to come in and have it appraised at what it was after it was built back brand new, which was triple what I had it insured for. And so they penalized me and said, you were grossly underinsured. So we're only going to pay you a percentage of your coverage, even though you've been paying premiums for this all these years. So it's a, wow. it's a, it's a really complicated, convoluted racket is my, is, I mean, that's all I know to call it. Yeah. So I would really highly encourage you to go out, meet with your insurance agent, make them go through, explain it in terms, ask questions. What if, what if, what if, if I have a fire and it, and it destroys everything, how much am I going to get and how's it going to be based? But what if I have a fire that destroys half of it? Because the half of it may wind up costing you as much as what your insurance coverage is. And then they're only going to pay 50% because they're going to say you were underinsured. There's just a lot of little nuances in there of replacement costs versus fair market value, co-insurance clauses, just a lot of little things in there that they work in. It's always going to be in their favor. Always. Yeah. So it's a very complicated uh, situation. And I learned a lot about, about it. And, and by the end of the day, uh, I came out semi-okay, but I had to involve attorneys and I had to, you know, I mean, it was a long, painful process that would not have had to be that way if my insurance agent had done a better job educating me on what I had and then making recommendations. Here's how we can do this. And it'd be a whole lot better for you. And it might be cost you another thousand dollars a year, but at the end of the day, if you need it, it's a very good investment because that thousand dollars takes you from getting paid 60% of your claim to getting paid 95% of your claim. It's, it's money well spent. So you can be yeah, open. A lot of people, yeah. And a lot of people getting that 60% would probably be out of business. You know, because because right. yeah. you got to make up that difference somehow. Yeah, so it's a it's a very uh, that's one of the things I would really tell people to spend your time on is understanding some of the business sides of of your business, and one of them is your insurance coverage and and understanding what that means to you. Yeah, 
Yep. So we, we were able to bounce back because of people, good people in the industry. It happened to us during COVID year. So if there's ever a year for it to happen, that was the year because so much stuff kind of stopped. We were able to work on the building uh, and keep people employed where I would have had to have laid them off. Yeah. So they were able to kind of work on the building. We did a lot of our own cleanup. We did a lot of our own uh, demo stuff. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that stuff we were able to do uh, with, with our own people. So that if there's a good way for that to work out, I guess that's kind of what happened. Yep. Yeah. All right, Alan. Well, we've come to the end of our time. So uh, we could do this, like you said, for several days. And so uh, we definitely want to have you back and, and chat with you some more. Okay. But uh, yeah. right right now, where can folks connect with you? What uh, where, where should they reach out to you if they, they want to? Sure. Well, our, our website is wepromoteyou.us. Okay. And then my email is alan at gadco.com. If you go to gadco.com, it takes you to wepromoteyou.us. So they, they go each, each other. But it's A-L-L-E-N at G-A-D-D-C-O dot com, Alan at Gadco dot com. We're on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff under Gadco Group. Okay. Uh, I whole other story, but I managed my computer updated about a month ago and it logged me out of Facebook. And I went to log back in. It tells me I have to go to my code generator that they've just enabled now. So there's a YouTube video on. There's thousands of people in the same boat I'm out. You got logged out of Facebook and you can't log back in and you're, you didn't get like set out for any bad reason. You just can't log in because it doesn't ever send you the code that it tells you it's going to. So I don't, I'm assuming they'll fix that one of these days, but there's thousands of people that's got locked out of Facebook. And I'm one of huh. them. Wow. wow. All right. Well, <laughs> I'll team, reach out to you directly. <laughs> yeah, well, my team is still on Facebook and our, and our company page is still up, but I just, me personally, I'm, I'm not on Facebook currently. So, but you can for sure reach out to me in my email. I love to chat with anybody about anything alan at gadco.com and uh it'd be awesome i appreciate you guys time and yeah, uh this has been great alan for sure Jay, uh, i know you mentioned jay earlier so i guess i have to give the uh, obligatory jay's awesome too you know so <laughs> exactly right <laughs> I, think, I think maybe we hooked up with you because i was on jay's show a few months back and so it was cool. a lot of fun uh, a lot of good good folks in our industry uh, terry i'm sure you don't recall but i actually brought some folks to your training in uh nashville uh, by Atlas several years ago. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah, uh, when uh, who was the uh, was it Atlas that had an yeah. office? Yeah, at one time. Yeah, Atlas. Uh, yeah, Atlas. And then I think they closed that office a few years back or something. But uh, yeah, they we stopped doing classes there during COVID, and then they just kind of uh, closed yeah. that down completely. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I know y'all been in the industry a long time. I appreciate the opportunity to hang out with you and learn from you guys and. And uh, it's just a fun industry to be in. It a lot is. of work, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, awesome. Yeah, Fantastic. Alan, awesome. Thank you so much for your time. It was great. Can't, can't sure. wait to do it again. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Terry. Wow. What well, a what a great... Jay, Bus uh, Jay Bissell was right. Alan's he was an right. awesome he, guest. He, <laughs> I could sit and talk awesome to him guest. all day. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> and, and just so many, you know, obviously great stories, but just so many nuggets in there too. You know, the, I mean, the, yeah. the part about the insurance, Ramona had a, a comment that, uh, you know, what he says, all of those home users, if you believe your homeowners will cover your equipment and supplies, it won't, right? So just thinking about that stuff. Yeah, you could definitely... Uh, just go back to this show and, and write out a list of things that you should be probably doing tomorrow. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Terry, we are into into bonus time here, but uh, let's uh, let's dive in uh, to what you've got coming up here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my next complete screen printing business course in Chicago with Atlas Screen Supply, as we mentioned, <laughs> it's yeah. actually sold out next weekend, August twenty seventh and twenty eighth. My next class here in Phoenix at Workhorse Products will be September 25th and 26th. That class is filling up as well, so make sure you get signed up for that. Uh, I'm going to be at Equipment Zone in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, New York City area, October 29th and 30th. Uh, September 9th, I'll be at Equipment Zone in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey for another DTG DTF training camp. Uh, that sold out last time we were there, so make sure you get signed up if you'd like to, mm -hmm. to join us. September 30th, I'll be at Impressions Expo in Fort Worth. Me uh, and Eric will be hanging out. <laughs> yeah. uh, how to make a living as a full-time garment decorator. And uh, on October 2nd there in Fort Worth, I'll be doing training and motivating the best production staff in town. And nice. as always, all my future upcoming events, you can find at terrycombs.com. How about you, Excellent. Aaron? Excellent. Yeah. So um, September 5th through the 9th, I've got a program called the Five Keys of Marketing Workshop. And uh, for OSG members, that's uh, part of the ongoing training. So it's free for OSG members, but uh, you can join that also as a standalone. Um, we're going to basically spend five nights, uh, about an hour each night, uh, going through the marketing process to uh, set people up for their best fourth quarter yet. So each day, we're going to kind of work through a different part of, of marketing from defining your ideal customer to defining your brand to narrowing down to the best strategies to focus on for your business to setting up the plan. And then how do you implement that plan and, and revise it along the way? So you're going to end up with a full roadmap for the uh, the last 12 weeks of the month. And, and the great part is this whole process actually works for any quarter that you want, but uh, Obviously, leading into the fourth quarter holiday uh, sales event, it, it works out perfectly. And um, so we are. Are we really to... talking about the holidays? That's crazy. I know. <laughs> it, it really is. I saw, um, um, a, I don't know what you would call it, ma'am, I guess, uh, with uh, Buddy the Elf. And it said only 20 Fridays until Christmas. So there you go. Um, wow. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, if you, you want to go check out that workshop, you can do so at rsuccessgroup.com forward slash five keys marketing. Um, and, um, if you think, you know, Hey, you know what, I just need business support. Uh, and I want to just get this as part of the OSG membership. You can also check that out, uh, our successgroup.com forward slash try OSG. But, uh, if you want to check out that workshop again, our successgroup.com forward slash five keys marketing. Uh, so let's see that that's that, uh, September 5th through the 9th, uh, October 28th and 29th. I've got the grow your business effortlessly workshop and kind of backed by popular demand here. I, I, I did this workshop on the 15th and, uh, had so much great information that, uh, the 90 minute workshop ended up becoming a three hour workshop. So we decided to split it into two days and, uh, you're going to leave with lots of actionable, uh, strategic planning tools that you'll need uh, over this two-day course. And um, we're going to cover what what I consider to be the five key areas to focus on in your business. 
And uh, really, whether you're a six to seven figure year company with employees or a startup solopreneur, um, this workshop is going to give you the tools to create positive changes. It's all about that first creation of your business. If you've ever read the seven habits of highly effective people, you'll you'll understand what that means. But uh, we got to think about what we're doing first and then get out there and do it. So uh, that's happening uh, October 28th and 29th. Uh, OurSuccessGroup.com forward slash grow for that one. Um, and then, uh, yeah, busy September as well. Uh, September 11th, I will be participating in an international online small business skills summit. And uh, so you can go register for that at osg.link forward slash skills summit. Uh, it's actually going to be 30 experts over 30 days starting in, in, in September. So go over there, osg.link forward slash skills summit and uh, get registered right away. Uh, and, and, you can get registered into that for free. And they also have a VIP option that gives you a lot more. So uh, definitely check all that out. Uh, I'm going to be talking about conquered fear and thriving. And then uh, September 15th, uh, I will be heading to Graphics Pro Expo. And uh, the, the day before we have the Start Here Academy where I get to be the MC of that. And um, so if you'll go to osg.link forward slash SHA to check that out. And um, yeah, plenty of other stuff going on, but uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that for right now, Terry. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and then uh, would you share with us uh, what Eric's got coming up here? Yeah, you, you're making me uh, tired and anxious just looking at the list of things you have coming up. <laughs> <laughs> got some but, stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, join Aaron, uh, Eric today for The Take Up. This week, it is episode number 124 breaking the rules of machine embroidery. And uh, the conversation will be about what the rules are there for in machine embroidery and discuss the ways that great digitizers, embroiderers, and decorators break all those rules with a purpose. Uh, head over to ericcampbell.com and click on the take up on the top menu for the full playlist and look for Eric's extended session, Making Small Run Patches, we're back to patches, as well as his uh, editing for non-digitizing class. Um, it comes, uh, let's see, non-digitizers class coming up at Impressions Expo Fort Worth in the Eric Campbell wing of the uh, of the uh, <laughs> seminar area. Yes, yes. Uh, all right. Well, check that out at impressionsexpo.com. So, Terry, I think we've done it. I think we've come to the close of another show. Uh, we do want to thank Alan Gaddis for joining us and, and sharing about his journey. Like I said, we could talk to him for, for days at a time. And, and so we'll, we'll see what we can uh, chat with him about more later. But we really appreciate all of that. Just great stories that that also came with great tips and advice. So uh, you, know, you can't can't beat that, right, Terry? <laughs> exactly right. I, and, and he's from down home. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. We also want to thank Eric Campbell for pushing all the buttons in the background and making all this work smooth, smooth as glass. Uh, unlike uh, back in the days where you and I used to do <laughs> all the background work. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it uh, it does go a lot better, even with uh, all the craziness that was going on around here. It, it went nice and smooth. So. Thank you very much, Eric. Um, Terry, uh, next week we, we shuffled the schedule a little bit. I had a conflict. Uh, we, we'll get uh, uh, the gentleman from Caps America rescheduled a little bit later in October. So that allowed us to uh, bump up that uh, non-decorators part three episode. So um, if you were planning on showing up for that on September 30th, well, move that up your calendar. That's happening next week. And uh, so we'll have Eric back in here live with us and We'll, we'll, we'll see if we share the pushing buttons duties. Who knows? What, what yeah. 
And we're going to be talking about uh, business management, employees, yeah. that sort of thing. So I'm yeah. pretty excited about that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I will be pushing the buttons and let you guys talk. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Until then, I'm Terry Combs. He's Aaron Montgomery. And we are the two regular guys. Here we go. We're out. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening to Two Regular Guys. Check out our website at tworegularguys.com. That's the number two, regularguys.com. You can also interact with us over at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash tworegularguys, or send us a tweet, twitter.com slash tworegularguys. And we have a YouTube page. You can find all that from our website, tworegularguys.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to spending some time with you again next week.